Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. I'm Anthony Buzzard, inviting you again to search the Scriptures with me as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, what he called the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. Our purpose in these radio programs is to put you in touch with the living Messiah, who is the same Jesus, of course, as the Jesus who preached in Israel some 2,000 years ago. I wonder if you realize how often the apostles of Jesus, after his death and resurrection, always insisted on the teachings of the historical Jesus. They traced their gospel back to the Jesus who had preached there in Galilee and Jerusalem before them. The apostles thought of themselves as the accredited agents of Jesus. Their aim was to relay faithfully the teachings they had learned from Jesus himself. Now, this is a very obvious fact of the New Testament documents, but it needs to be pointed out constantly. I wonder sometimes if churchgoers fully grasp this fundamental truth. You sometimes hear it said that what Jesus preached as the gospel and what he taught to the Jewish people really has very little relevance to us Christians today. I've even heard it said in some circles that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was not given to Christians at all but it was given for some future generation, or else only to Jewish people in the past. Now, that really is an amazing misunderstanding of Jesus and his purposes. Do you remember that John the Apostle said that Jesus came to give us an understanding so that we might know God? First John 5, verse 20. Jesus came to give us an understanding to enable us to know God. Doesn't that make the teaching of Jesus absolutely indispensable? How then can some say that the Sermon on the Mount is not for what they call the church age? By the way, did you know that the Bible does not speak of the present age as the church age? It calls it the present evil age, Galatians 1, verse 4. And of course, we're looking forward to the coming age of the kingdom of God, just as the disciples in the first century did. The age to come in the Bible means the future age of the kingdom of God to be initiated by the future coming of Jesus in power when he returns to this earth. So if Jesus came to give us an understanding so that we might know God, 1 John 5 verse 20, it must follow that all the words of Jesus are ultimately precious to those who seek to follow him as Christians. If Jesus then came to give us this understanding, what are we supposed to learn from him? Well, here's another Bible statement about what Jesus came to do. Luke 4 verse 43 Jesus said there, I came to preach the gospel concerning the kingdom of God. That's why I was commissioned by God. So, let's put these two statements together. First John 5.20 says that Jesus came to give us an understanding to enable us to get to know God. And then Luke 4 verse 43, in that verse Jesus said that he came for the very purpose of preaching the gospel about the kingdom. Now, it must follow that Jesus' purposes must also be our purposes today. Jesus hasn't changed, you know. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so it would be a considerable mistake to suppose or suggest that the teachings of Jesus in Galilee, those 2,000 years ago, are obsolete or in some way irrelevant for us. It would be a colossal error to say that what really counts today is only the death and resurrection of Jesus while his teachings may be safely relegated to a former era where he spoke only to Jewish people. And yet, you know, this division of the risen Christ 
The risen Jesus from the historical Jesus is quite widespread in some church-going circles. It would then be a serious error to say that Jesus' teachings, any of them addressed to his disciples, are not for us. Do you remember the Great Commission in the last chapter of Matthew's Gospel? Jesus there told his apostles to take all the teachings he'd given to them to the whole wide world, and they would do this until the end of the age. Now, the end of the age has not happened yet, I must tell you. Don't imagine for one minute that the end of the age happened in A.D. 70 at the fall of Jerusalem. That would be quite untrue. The end of the age is still in the future. You will know when the end of the age comes, God is going to intervene and change forever the political structures of the present world system and replace them forever with his own kingdom on the earth, on a renewed earth. And that kingdom will be ruled by God's agent and king, the Messiah Jesus, whom Christians, of course, believe to be that Jesus of Nazareth who walked the earth some 2,000 years ago. Now, believing in Jesus means understanding his words. That's the essence of Christianity. It's essential also to believe that he died to reconcile us with God, his Father. We have all failed to measure up to what God expects from us, so we must accept the death of Jesus on our behalf. His shed blood to cover our sins. But having done that, we must then seriously go on to set out on the path of discipleship. And that means seriously learning the teachings of Jesus. Without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. Now, what does that mean, without me? It means that you're going to have to depend on him. And that, in turn, means learning what he wants us to do. And what he wants us to do is summed up in his teaching and his gospel of the kingdom of God. We've been pointing out that Jesus' teaching for us is summarized in his gospel about the kingdom. Jesus commands us to, and I quote, repent and believe in the gospel of the kingdom. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. We cannot and we must not avoid or evade this first commandment of Jesus. Repent and believe the gospel about the kingdom. When we begin to follow that first command, we are aligning ourselves with Jesus' agenda what was dearest and closest to his heart. The kingdom of God is the master idea in the whole teaching of Jesus. Is it the master idea in your life? What did Jesus mean by the kingdom of God? To answer that question, we must ask you to imagine yourself back into first century Palestine. Jesus was a Jew who claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed, that's to say, to be God's king, one appointed to rule the world, in a new revolutionary government to be established in Jerusalem, with effects stretching to the far edges of the globe. These facts about the claims of Jesus have not changed. Jesus has obviously not yet become the ruler of the earth. That means that he will, in the future, take up his office as the Messiah he claimed to be. The New Testament is always a forward-looking book, brimming over with hope for the future, Hope for the future, not only for you and your family, but for the future of the entire human family, provided that is that we respond to Jesus and listen carefully to his teachings. And these teachings of Jesus are summed up in his slogan, the gospel about the kingdom of God. Sometimes we wonder why Jesus' appointment as world ruler is not more widely understood in the churches. Actually, there's a rather simple answer to that question. Large sections of the Christian church do not really believe in what the prophets of Israel predicted for the future of our world. 
Well, sometimes people think that the prophets of Israel were somehow limited, severely restricted by their time. And so, we with our superior wisdom, so goes the argument, must interpret them in a special way, but not take them literally. Now, there are serious problems with that theory. The prophets of Israel were inspired agents of the Spirit of God. In page after page, chapter after chapter in the Hebrew Bible, what we rather unfortunately call the Old Testament, there's a description of the condition of the world as it will be in the future golden age. Check these facts for yourself by reading through Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and the minor prophets. They're simply filled with descriptions of a time coming on earth when conditions will be totally different from what we see now. There's going to be an era, say these prophets, of international peace and prosperity never before known on this planet. This promise of a marvelous time coming for the whole world is in fact the main topic of Jewish prophetic writings found in your Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. And it was that Bible that Jesus appealed to in many of his teachings. Well, if that's so, you may say, why is it that there's not a united testimony to these facts in all of the churches? The problem is that some have been taught that the prophets of Israel did not really mean what they obviously said. A system of so-called interpretation has been applied to their writings which actually gets rid of what they said. This method of so-called interpretation befuddles and scrambles their message and turns it into something mystical and vague. That's how information, precious information about the future of the world, revealed by God to the prophets of Israel, has been lost or suppressed. Let me give you an example. As I read this passage of Scripture, take the opportunity of assessing your own reaction. How sympathetically do you read the words of the Hebrew prophets? Do you believe what they wrote? In Micah, a book found in the Minor Prophets, in Micah chapter 3, there's a remarkable prophecy about how Jerusalem, the geographical Jerusalem, is going to be ploughed like a field. The city is going to become a ruin. Now, Jesus interpreted these predictions of a yet future destruction of the city of Jerusalem. Certainly, Jerusalem has been destroyed in past history, but there's another ruin of Jerusalem in the prophetic forecast. You read of this in Micah chapter 3, verse 12. And then look at Jesus' reading of that passage in Luke 21 and verse 20. There Jesus spoke of a future desolation of the city of Jerusalem. Now, I think we will all recognize that Jerusalem here means the geographical city of Jerusalem on this earth. It's a definite place, a location to be found on our globe. But did you know that in the very same context, only a few verses later, the prophet tells us that the same Jerusalem is going to be restored to a leading position in world affairs. It's going to become the center of the kingdom of God. In Micah chapter 4, the prophet was transported in vision to what he called the latter days, the messianic future. And here's what he saw. The mountain where the Lord's temple stands will be the highest of all and reach above the hills, and every nation will rush to it. People of many nations will say, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord God of Jacob and worship in his temple. And the Lord will teach his instructions from Zion, and we will walk in his paths. Because from Jerusalem, or Zion, God's instruction will go forth. The word of God will be issued from Jerusalem. The Lord will settle arguments between distant and powerful nations, and they will pound their swords and spears into rakes and shovels. They will never again make war or attack one another. Everyone will find rest beneath his own fig tree or grapevine, and they will live in peace. This is the solemn promise of the Lord God. 
You will find this in Micah chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. The Bible, in fact, is simply filled with promises of a wonderful world coming on this earth when the Messiah returns to establish the kingdom that's been promised to him. For example, in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, we read this. There's a child born for us, a son given to us, and dominion is laid on his shoulders. And this is the name they give him, Wonderful Counselor, Divine Hero, Father of the Coming Age, Prince of Peace. Wide is his dominion, in a peace that has no end, for the throne of David and for his royal power, which he establishes and makes secure in justice and integrity. From this time onward and forever, the jealous love of Yahweh will accomplish this. I was reading there from the Jerusalem Bible, but I did substitute a better definition for one of the titles of the Messiah. Instead of Mighty God, I read the definition given by the standard Hebrew lexicon of the Bible, Divine Hero Reflecting the Divine Majesty. We leave you with that exciting vision of the future of our earth resounding in our ears, and we encourage you to be interested in God's future and the kingdom of God about which Jesus spoke so often. Remember that we have a free book to offer you. You can call for that book by using the telephone number to be given at the end of this program. Join us again as we continue to probe the most basic questions about life and immortality as Jesus offers it to us in his gospel and good news about the coming kingdom of God.